Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. All right, here we go. It is a Wednesday, December 22nd edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. Flyers game, obviously, last night was postponed, and it was due to COVID-related issues affecting the Washington Capitals. Uh, The release said tonight's game at Philadelphia Flyers has been postponed to make update for the game has yet to be established. Interesting thing there is that the postponement was due to COVID-related issues affecting the Capitals, not the Flyers. Flyers do have a couple guys obviously out. Morgan Frost, Kevin Hayes was taken off the ice, so they're dealing with the COVID issues as well. But the game apparently postponed because the Washington Capitals had COVID issues, and now the Flyers will not be back until the 29th. So we've got a week from today until the Flyers will play again. It'll be in Seattle. It would have been game two of that road trip. The first game would have been before Christmas against the Penguins, but the actual trip after the holiday will begin on the 29th in Seattle. Then the Flyers will head to San Jose to take on the Sharks on the 30th, and then New Year's Day, not New Year's Eve this year, New Year's Day, they'll take it. The, New Year's Day, they'll take on the Los Angeles Kings at 10.30 p.m., and then Tuesday, January 4th, they'll take on the Anaheim Ducks and then return home to take on the Pittsburgh Penguins on January 6th. So obviously today what it's going to so obviously today was going to be a breakdown episode of the game last night. We knew that the game Thursday against the Penguins had already been postponed when we last convened here on Flyers Daily. But with that, let's, ha- let's have a little fun tonight. We're going to go through some tweets because I just put out a tweet saying, hey, I was planning on breaking down the game. I don't have any agenda for this episode. I don't have a plan. I didn't have a plan. <laughs> and so let's have some fun and we'll do that. But first, before we get to that, I want to attack this article. Maybe attack's the wrong word. Maybe it's the right word, actually, that Stan Fischler wrote at thehockeynews.com. Now, Stan Fischler's been covering the game for a very long time. And the headline of the, the story says, Fischler Report, that's what his, his column is called. It says, hey, goalies, time to wise up and ditch the butterfly. And then it says, the butterfly goalie style is an unmitigated disaster because it inherently forces goalies into contortions that damage the groin area, not to mention, as Ben Bishop notes, the knees. Maybe goalies need to rethink the position. In this article, I want to read you a couple excerpts from the article. Stan Fischler says, One after another, goalies are down with injury, some for a game or two, some for a month, and there's, tr- and there's the truly sad case of Ben Bishop gone forever done. No, he's not gone forever. He's just retired. He says, remarkably, in his farewell to the NHL, the very competent goaltender pinpointed his nemesis, the butterfly. Now, Bishop said in the article, if I was a forward, I'd still be playing now. But with the butterfly, the torque you put on your knee, then a pause, it didn't get better. Of course, Ben Bishop is 6'7". He is a big, big man. We know that bigger statured people have more knee issues, foot issues, because their body cannot handle the amount of weight that's coming down on it. It's why big men in the NBA, we've talked about this with Joel Embiid, and we've heard about it, that the big man in the NBA tends to not last a long time because the body can't handle it. When you're that tall, and obviously Embiid's taller than Ben Bishop, then the body has a harder time dealing with it. And when a goaltender goes down into the butterfly, there's first the first area of stress is actually not the knee. That's where you land, but that's not where the stress begins. It begins in the hip, and then it goes to the knee. And there's four times the person's body weight when you go into a butterfly that goes into the hip. 
Now, why is it four times? That's just the pressure because of the way the legs are kicked out to the side and because you're on your knees. Now, he goes on in his article to call the butterfly an unmitigated disaster because it forces goalies into contortion to damage their groin area and knees. He also goes on to cite that Mackenzie Blackwood, Peter Morazic, John Gibson, Dustin Tokarski, Craig Anderson, Darcy Kemper, Jordan Bennington, Braden Holpe, and Mike Smith. No need to bore you with a longer list, he says. You get the point because they're injured. Now, he says Hall of Famers like Ken Dryden and Johnny Bauer stopped pucks with a stand-up, cut-down-the-angle technique. And he's got some quotes in here from Johnny Bauer, who obviously played a very long time ago. Stan says, the point is twofold. One, the butterfly can be dangerous to a goaltender's longevity. Two, stand-up goaltending could be less dangerous and actually more effective, especially against top-shelf goals. And if you don't believe me, check out the most recent tapes. Goalies reflexively go down to their knees or do the butterfly and constantly give up far too much upstairs. Okay, now number one, first of all, the goalies can still catch pucks upstairs. They're not five foot six, five foot nine like they were in Johnny Bowers' days. Ken Dryden was a bit of a freak because he was a big goalie before the big goalie. The butterfly takes away the bottom third. So why does a goalie want to take away the bottom third of the net? These simple statistics. 71% of all goals are scored in the bottom 12 inches of the net. There's more room down low. And the legs, they don't move as fast as arms. 58% of successful shots are released within one second. 80% of goals are scored with little or no windup. So you have to default to the butterfly, you try and hold your edges as long as possible, take away where most goals go in. It's a math equation. What Stan does not understand is that the butterfly takes away that option and then forces the shooters to come up high. And predictability for a goaltender is its best friend. If I can give you something, knowing it's the spot where you're going to go with the puck, I have a much better chance to make the save. Now, for goaltenders, it's easier to move your hands than your feet, obviously, especially with all the gear on. The advantage down low is the pads. The pads are 11 inches. Low shots only have to gauge the left-right situation, not the left-right and high-low. So 71% of the goals are scored low. Why not be in the butterfly and take away the bottom third of the net? It's why the backhand shot is one of the most difficult saves for a goaltender because a goalie is reading the stick, the body, the shoulders, the arms, the positioning of the puck, all of those things. A backhand is one that's very difficult to read. It's probably the shot that's got the least amount of velocity on it, but it's one of the hardest ones to stop because it's not about velocity most times. It's about release. It's about where it's going and not how hard it's going which is why you see the great scorers like Austin Matthews, obviously Ovechkin, Line, Vladimir Tarasenko, they constantly change the release point of their shots. They move the puck closer to their body to give you a false read, and that's how they score. Why does a goaltender go down? Why does he not stay up anymore? What Stan is advocating is for the, the stand-up goaltender to return to the NHL. I will tell you that there's no way a stand-up goaltender will get anywhere near the NHL because it's too difficult. You cannot stop these shots with the players the way they shoot today and with the sticks they have, even in junior or Tier 1 hockey, 
if you're going to try and play a stand-up style. Not to mention the butterfly and the reverse VH and those pad-down techniques on the post. They're all there to prevent wraparounds, seal the bottom third, because if a puck on a high-low play comes from below the goal line and a quick release to somebody in the slot, that shot is going to be a low shot. They're not going to have time to get it up in the air, so you take away the bottom third. And the post seals with the pad on the ice, the old-school stand-up way was to pin your skate against the post. We saw earlier in a game this season, the first game of the year for Carter Hart, a puck got thrown into his foot that was against the post. You know what he can't do there? He can't bend down and cover it. You take your foot off, the puck goes in. So you have to jam it there. And it's just not a situation or a save selection that you're going to have success with. So starry Stan, but your uh, thesis that the butterfly is an unmitigated disaster is archaic, idiotic, and out of touch. All right, let's get to some of these Twitter responses. I put out a tweet and said, with no game to talk about for tomorrow's Flyers Daily, I need some angles for conversation. So what do you have, Flyers Twitter? And let's start with Bahama Mama Enthusiast. He's a frequent tweeter to Flyers Daily. He said, I've always wondered why the Flyers go after a third D that's strictly there for offense. Ghost didn't work out when teams started to expose him. Yandel shows the same signs. Yes, they score, but 670 and 9. So Sanheim, Ristolainen, and Provorov can also score, but defend well too. I think a stay-at-home third D is needed. Well, you have that guy when they're healthy in Justin Braun. The thing is, this Bahama Mama enthusiast, there's not a lot of Chris Prongers out there that are a top-pairing, shut-down defender with offensive game that can be your high-point man on the power play. There's John Carlson. There are some guys like that that are really good at both ends, but they're really rare. And you need a guy to quarterback your power play. You know, I think a kind of a deeper question is, and I can't believe nobody's done this in the NHL that I've seen, is why not throw out three forwards on the power play? Is why not throw out five forwards on the power play? Find one guy that can defend pretty good and handle a two-on-one if one happens. but And, and put five forwards out there and have them all in motion. I, I can't believe it hasn't been tried yet. It used to be just three forwards and two D. Now it's four forwards and one D. Are we going to get to that point where we see five forwards on the ice? Josh tweeted in and said, favorite goalie of all time, favorite defenseman, favorite forward. Well, my favorite flyer goalie of all time was Pelly Lindbergh. I love Pelly Lindbergh and I love Ron Hextall. Um, but if I go outside the Flyers organization, this is going to shock people, but my favorite goalie was Marty Berdour. He was a bit of a hybrid, cross between two generations. And even though he didn't see a ton of shots, I always loved watching him play. I thought he was just so dynamic the way he handled the puck as well. I know it's probably some sort of violation to mention Marty Brodeur because he played for the Devils and won cups there, but that's probably the guy. I was never like a big Hashik fan or Patrick Waugh fan. With Hashik, it was more I could never identify with him. I couldn't figure out why he made the decisions he made on the ice and the, the just the sheer just the sheer vamping and just It was all over the place, so I didn't identify with him. He was great, obviously, but uh, I'll go with those ones for goalie. Favorite defenseman, Flyers defenseman, Mark Howe, not even close. Uh, favorite forward for the Flyers, this is a tough one. I'm, I mean, I really liked Eric Lindros, obviously, and John LeClaire in the 80s. I was a big Rick Tockett fan. There's been some great ones. I, I was also a big fan of Mark Recchi, undersized guy that shot off the wing. I liked him a lot as well. 
Jason Updike tweets in and says, with Paul Maurice stepping down from the Winnipeg Jets, is there a rule against him being hired by another team in season? It's a good question. I'm not sure what the agreement was when he resigned. Obviously, there was probably some sort of negotiation. Maybe that's not the right word, but where they they figured something out and he can't go to another team for a period of time. A lot of times when a coach gets fired, uh, that's different because if he gets hired by another team, that mitigates what you owe him. So I'm not sure what the situation is for Paul Maurice. If he stepped down, though, is he really going to jump right back in and season with another team? I tend to think not. Probably wait for the perfect opportunity, and usually that comes during an off season. Plus, a coach loves to have a training camp, loves to get all of his systems and everything in camp installed. To do that in the middle of a season maybe is a little bit more than he would be asking for right now. RJ Smiley says, pretty excited about Denoye, Elliot Denoye, on Team Canada for the World Juniors. Could you discuss our handful of Flyers prospects in the tournament? I'll tell you what, I'm going to I'm gonna table that one, RJ, until we have Bill on again, because Bill's great with that stuff. I am not as good with that stuff. And we'll do that with Bill Meltzer coming up in an episode in the next couple of days, I promise. Colin Newby tweets in, what's up going on, Colin? He says, Bill talked, Bill Meltzer, talked about the resiliency issue and how the veteran acquisitions, former assistant captains, were supposed to help with that this year. In my opinion, they haven't. Is it reasonable to think that that had to do with Vino and that it could change now that Yo has taken over? It It's not unreasonable. Um, time will tell. But, you know, a lot of the players that seemed to be tuning out the message were players that just got here or guys that did play for him before, like Derek Broussard. Now, Broussard's been hurt. That's probably unfair. And Cam Atkinson, it just got here. So there's a lot of players. Rasmus Ristolainen, he improved while AV was here and is still improving. So I'm not sure about that. We'll have to—I really can't answer it until we get a lot more eyes on the Mike Yo Flyers and we can compare it side-by-side with the Elaine Vigneault Flyers. Marco Serino tweets in and says, Are we ever going to find out what was wrong with Carter Hart last season? His reactions are sharper, and his secondary push is strong again. Was the knee a problem before he got put on the shelf late in the season? I don't believe so, Marco. I don't think he—I know he had an injury late in the year, and they decided to shut him down. But as far as what was wrong with Carter last season, I think it was a confluence of the team breaking down in a big, big way not handling COVID well, both as a team and Carter individually, a lot of isolation for him. And, you know, I I think it was all of those things, the the environment, and it got on top of him and coupled with the pandemic and that isolation, and it was difficult. I don't think that there was anything wrong with him because I think that NHL players' success in this league, especially for a a goaltender, is not a straight line. It's not you just incrementally get better year after year after year. That would be great if it was, but that's not the case. Sometimes you have to take a step back. You have to take it on the chin to to be a real pro and really grow your game to the next level. And I think that's what we're seeing this year. Jay Terso 98 tweets in and says, favorite team that didn't win the cup. So I responded to him. I just said, Flyers team that didn't win the cup? So the Flyer teams that didn't win the cup were, I mean, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of teams that got to the cup but didn't win it. But favorite team that never won the Cup, to me, would probably be that 97 Flyers team that lost to Detroit. I loved that team. I still can't believe they didn't win the Cup. They were favored to win the Cup, and they got swept. 
Michael Hennigan tweets in and says, why isn't hockey a summer sport in the Olympics? Well, hockey's not a summer sport. It's a winter sport. But I get what you're saying. Because then it wouldn't interrupt an NHL season. Hockey was not put into the Olympics to placate to the NHL. So it's a winter sport. It would be too weird having hockey in the summer Olympics. It just almost doesn't make sense. It feels counterintuitive in a lot of ways. Although we do get the World Cup of Hockey every now and then, every decade or so, and that comes before the season in August, so uh, it's not a bad thought. George Chiquitino, I hope I said that right, George. He said, with 10 losses in a row in the rearview mirror, what will the Flyers need to do from here on to the end to make the playoffs? Well, they're going to need to win a lot of games, (laughs) but they got to get better. Their game has to get better, and it has to get more consistent. They're not that far out of it, but they have to be much more consistent. You can't just give away that point like they gave away in Montreal. Those are things that they, because of that 10-game winless skid, that they can't do. All right, two more. I got this DM from John Govey, Pod Street Govey. I hope I said your last name right, John. Uh, he said, hey, Jason, there's something I'd love to hear from you. Go in-depth into an episode of Flyers Daily. He said, with the Flyers underachieving again to this point, there's a decent-sized contingency of the fan base that is demanding a rebuild. He said, I have a hard time believing this team is in position to do that with so many contracts with term. I'm curious about your thoughts on the matter. Is it a realistic option to do a rebuild? How are you going about it? What are you building around? That kind of stuff. Thanks for your time, and I always enjoy listening to the show. I appreciate that, John. Um, This is another one that I'm going to tackle with Bill because there's a lot there. We have to look at salary cap. We have to figure out who you're building around, who's coming, and all of those different ramifications. So I will get to that, John. I'm not against some sort of rebuild, but you have to figure out how to do it properly. And I don't think it needs to take years and years and years to do. So we'll tackle that with Bill Meltzer as well. One last one here. Dave TX, he tweets a lot to uh, Flyers Daily, and he says, how about make everybody mad? I didn't use his words. And spend an episode talking about how great Crosby is. I mean, I'd hate it too, but would laugh hysterically at the thought of of hundreds of phones being thrown across the room. Look, I know Flyer fans hate Crosby. He can play on my team any day of the week and twice on Sunday. He's a great player. There's no doubt about that. His career speaks for itself. He is a great player. I didn't like some of the antics in the beginning of his career. He was a bit of a whiny baby and, you know, did some things that I didn't agree with. But from what I understand, people I talk to that I know in Pittsburgh, that he's matured a lot. And, look, his game is spectacular. He's incredibly accomplished. And there's good reason for that. He's a great player. All right, everybody, that's going to put a wrap on this episode of Flyers Daily. Another brand new one coming up tomorrow. So check us out then. Leave us a rating and review. Make sure you subscribe. And we'll talk to you on tomorrow's brand new Flyers Daily. Wake me when the day breaks. Show me how the sun shines. Tell me about your heartache. Who could be so unkind?